0: Welcome to episode 207 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic, and entrepreneur here to help you build a better life, be a better person, and just get your shit together, right? That's all we all want is just to get it together. And that's what we're doing around here. So today's episode, if you saw the title, you know what we're talking about, Sober in the Service Industry. And many of you know, this was my story. I was a bartender for 20 years. I'm so excited to talk about this, and I'm so grateful with all the changes that I've seen and how much more acceptable this is now versus so many years ago that people are getting sober and still keeping their jobs in the food and beverage industry, because When you work in this industry and you have to get sober, not only are you facing all of the regular overwhelm and fears of getting sober, but there's this whole other layer of your job and what's going to happen and am I going to have to quit my job? Am I going to lose my income? How will my peers respond when I'm no longer staying out drinking and partying with them all night? How are my managers going to respond? Am I going to lose my good shifts? How am I going to support myself? This is all I've ever done, right? There's this whole other layer of fear and overwhelm that goes with being a food and beverage professional. And for me personally, I got to see this really evolve because I continued being a bartender, many years into my sobriety, my early sobriety, I think six or seven years or something. I got sober at 33 and a half. And I think I bartended until I was about 40. So I got to see this change. And you'll hear more about my story in this episode too. But I was so excited when this organization reached out to me and wanted to come on the podcast. And I'm so picky about who I have on the podcast, but this was a no-brainer for me. I definitely wanted to bring Haley Hostler on. She's a part of Ben's Friends, which is a support community, not a program. It's a support community for food and beverage professionals living a sober life. And you hear the adage in 12 Steps, if you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you're bound to get a haircut. And I had people say that to me once or twice about bartending in my sobriety. And I had been exposed to other sober bartenders and sober cocktail servers and things like that. So to me, it wasn't weird to be a sober bartender. But where I lived... At the time, it was pretty weird. And I'll tell you also, I had the perfect set of circumstances. When I had to quit drinking, I worked in a place I had worked for many years. It was my extended family. You know, it was a neighborhood kind of place. It was the same people all the time. We knew each other. We spent time together. We drank together. They were my extended family. And when I had to quit drinking, Everybody was so supportive of my decision, and they counted my weeks and then my months with me. And that is probably the main reason I was able to do it successfully, just because I was in that very comfortable, cozy environment surrounded by people that loved me and wanted to support my decision. But imagine if you're not in that place, right? And later, I did work in other places that didn't care about me or my sobriety, (laughs) and my performance really had to speak for itself. And I always had that fear, like, maybe I'm not going to get good shifts because I don't drink. Because when you don't drink, it can make other people uncomfortable. And if your managers and other bartenders are big, fat drunks, then (laughs) they may not want you on the best shifts making the best money because they feel weird about their own habits. So there's just a ton of stress and anxiety that goes in this particular niche. And I'm super excited to talk about it. I'm super excited to learn more about Ben's Friends and become more a part of that organization. And let's welcome Haley Hostler from Ben's Friends. Hi, Ms. Haley. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So I'm super excited to get into this conversation. Why don't you take a minute and just let everybody know a little bit about you and what you do?
1: Sure. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm excited to hear a piece of your story in this, in this aspect <laughs> as well. So I'm I'm Haley Hostler, and I wanted to come on the show and talk specifically about Ben's Friends, which is a nonprofit that I'm a part of. I am one of the Portland chairs and one of the national leaders. We work with um, individuals struggling with addiction and in addiction crisis, specifically in the food and beverage industry, um, which is a space that's very near and dear to my heart. I come from a long line of restaurant people and I've been in the industry pretty much my whole life. And I used to think that there was no way one could be sober and be in this industry but I, I really loved it and I really wanted to find a way. And Ben's friends has been incredibly supportive in that mixing of the two.
0: Yeah. I love that. So my listeners know, a lot of my listeners know, um, I, I was a bartender for 20 years. Like this is so much a piece of my story. Um, one of my first business, not my first, but early business ventures. Uh, I owned a bar In my sobriety, I bought a bar and opened it in sobriety um, because it's all I had ever done, right? It was a bartender my whole life. So at that time, it's like I did it just because I was getting sober. Like I didn't know, like, what else would I do? I had never done anything. I am definitely more feral than I am domesticated. (laughs) And so (laughs) like the thought of a job and a boss, like, I feel sorry for the person that would ever have to tell me what to do, you know? So yeah, but it's, it's kind of this crazy thing, how much that has changed over the years and how much more common that story is. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people use the analogy in, in traditional 12-step recovery rooms of, you go to a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. And I've always heard that and thought they're, they're talking about being in bars and restaurants and you'll eventually drink if you're in bars and restaurants. And that has just not been my experience. My triggers are not bars and restaurants. I feel very comfortable. I've been in them so long. That's, that's where, and especially in early sobriety was so important for me to be in a space where I felt comfortable and at home. And like, I was good at something. Mm -hmm. Everything else was so brand new and scary and foreign to me that it was like, I need to like, have this shift where I can go and and feel natural and at ease. And to be honest with you, there are many other professions that would be more triggering for me than, than working in this industry.
0: Yeah, sure. I think too, it's like, it's such a lifestyle and that's something I feel like people don't really understand, you know, service industry really is a lifestyle, especially bartending where it's super late night. You know what I mean? Like You live a life that is on an opposite schedule from the majority of the world. And it's very sort of underground. And I mean, now I laugh about it now, but I get up now at the time I used to get home from work. Oh yeah, you know, like four thirty or five in the yeah. morning is when I'm getting up and making coffee and taking the dog out. And I used to just be rolling in from work at that time, so it's crazy. But it is a lifestyle, and it definitely attracts a certain type of person. In that, it has its own fellowship and camaraderie that is so amazing, and can be pretty unhealthy. But that was a challenge for me when I got sober. That was one of the hardest things to leave behind because I had spent so much of my life in bars, not just partying, but working like I was in bars more than I was in my home. And and as I got sober and evolved and grew and started growing out of that in my, in my career path changed and all those things, that was still a very difficult piece of my life for me to leave behind was Mm -hmm. clubs.
1: Yeah. What was it that, that led you to that decision to leave?
0: Well, I knew really early on in my sobriety, literally in my first few months, I knew that I wanted my whole life to revolve around recovery. And I knew that all I wanted to do was help other people get sober because I was so excited about the person I was becoming in that I was becoming somebody I never knew I was capable of being, you mm-hmm. know, like I started mm-hmm. to understand the importance of being dependable and showing up on time and not lying about everything. And I, w- I was making these huge changes that I never even knew were possible for me. And when that was happening, I was like, oh my gosh, this is all I want to do is help other people have this same feeling and this same empowerment that I'm having every single day. So at some point in there, um, I decided to go to college and I was already, I think I was four years sober. I was 38, I think, or 37 maybe. And I decided to go to college and I did addiction counseling program. And then I went to social work school and I did those things because that's what they tell you to do when you want to work in addiction. Right. At the same time, I was an interventionist and I was building an intervention business. I was traveling all over the world, doing interventions every week and going to school full time. So it just became this natural progression that obviously I wasn't going to stay in bars, you know, (laughs) Like it just didn't fit. And yeah, it's kind of funny. I remember putting together my first resume for professional work. And, right, And in the prior 15 years was all yeah. bartending and nightclubs. Yes. And that was interesting, but yeah, it was just kind of a natural progression for me to, to shift into something different.
1: On that note, I used to be so self-conscious that my resume was entirely restaurants. I used to think it made me look unprofessional and like this, this girl's never had a real job. I now in, in my day job, look at a lot of resumes, love it when I see restaurant work on there. Cause I yeah. know about someone that they're hardworking they work as a team, they're dedicated.
0: Yeah. Multitasking for sure. A lot of nonsense put up with a lot of (laughs) nonsense. Exactly. High
1: good personality. There's so many things that, that you have to have working in the restaurant industry that I think are super transferable. So if you're listening and and you're trying to exit the restaurant industry and you feel like you don't have experience, trust me, you do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know what I did? I just highlighted all of my experience in in building my intervention business. And I highlighted a lot of my education on my resume. And then I had a little tiny piece at the very bottom of my resume that had like my last 10 years of jobs and a little thing that said, you know, of course, what is the term? Oh, references available upon request, Mm -hmm. you know, so I just made it all about my education and experience really. And then I just put my job history, very, very tiny at at the bottom And 10 years, job experience wasn't very many places. So yeah, it it was easy to minimize, you know,
1: sure. Yeah.
0: So tell me a little bit about Ben's friends and how that started, who started it. What is the, like, I understand it's specifically for people, food and beverage, but what is the story behind it?
1: Sure. So Ben's friends was started by two gentlemen based in Charleston, South Carolina, Mickey Bax and Steve Palmer. And they had both, they both had pretty long-term sobriety. Definitely. Um, between the two of them, I think they had about 35 years at least and they were in the restaurant industry, very, very prominent figures in the restaurant industry in the south, and they had someone that they were working with closely that was a dear friend who was really struggling with addiction. And because of the nature of um, the 12-step programs that, that the two men were part of, they were anonymous about their sobriety and they, they weren't very public about it and they didn't share it often. So they had this person working, you know, shoulder to shoulder with them who was deeply struggling and they didn't know it. And and this person who was struggling didn't know that they could have been a wonderful resource. Um, And unfortunately that person ended up passing away by suicide and it sparked this idea of, this is an epidemic in our industry. The restaurant industry is in the top three for industries suffering from addiction. I think it goes construction, coal mining, restaurant industry. Always flipping, but they're always small, right right the top three. And then two, we should be sober out loud and we should we should mark ourselves as a public resource for anyone in the industry that's struggling so that help can be found without having to dig too hard for it. So uh, an in-person meeting was born in Charleston first and then it grew. Today there are somewhere between 12 and 15 chapters in different cities including Kansas City Mm -hmm. and Portland, Oregon, which is where I'm based and one of the chairs. And then during COVID times, um, a national meeting on Zoom was born every day at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we met every single day, rain or shine on Zoom. And it grew today, those continue. um, And they're about 45 to 50 people on average for, for each day. We also have a men's and women's meeting Wednesday nights. And then late night meetings for people who shift that works better for Monday, Thursday and Saturday
0: nights. Um, I love that. That's a really important point too in like when I got sober, I was still a very late night person. Yeah. So to go to a like six or 7 PM, 12 step meeting was like not cutting it. I had to find late night meetings because I stayed up so late. So I needed those late night meetings. I love that.
1: You know, 7 AM probably isn't going to work for a late night bartender. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what is, what was it for you That made you want to become a part of it? Like what's a little bit of your story being in the food and beverage industry and getting sober?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in the industry. I've been in it most of my life. My parents had a food cart when I was a kid that we brought to music festivals. A lot of my drug and alcohol experimentation really was born in that environment. Um, But also my love of just being in service and, and creating beautiful food and drinks and, and working so much people to people. I'm an extrovert till the day I die. I love being around people. Um, and then I, I, worked in several restaurants and then I ended up running a bartending and cocktail design company based in San Francisco. That was sort of the end of the end for me. Um, it's using a lot of drugs and drinking. And I went to treatment in Minnesota, got sober in Minnesota And the first sponsor that I had said to me, you can never work in restaurants again. That's not a part of sobriety. And that was the first, like everything else I had been so on board for, I'll do whatever it takes. I know this is life or death. I'm, you know, I'm here to do what I need to do. I'll do the steps. I'll do all of it. And that was the first time that someone said something that I thought, gosh, I don't know if that has to be true. And then come to find out this same sponsor, which bless her, you know, she helped me a lot in so many other aspects, but I I came to find out that she had been in the medical industry, she was now a doctor and she had had several relapses in the medical industry, including mm. girls at work and, and tie, things tied to work. And it was sort of this light bulb of, okay, all of these other industries get this chance for redemption when they get sober and this opportunity to come back and, and be greater than ever in their industry. Can't that be true for the restaurant industry? So I just did some quick Google research and found Ben's friends right away. And it felt like this absolute god chat of a of an organization kind of saying this, this thing that I had felt. Right. Um, and I there wasn't a chapter in Minneapolis where I was based. So I I didn't go to my first in-person until I came back to Portland. Um, but I've been I've been hooked ever since. <laughs> it's fantastic. And so it it looks, it functions sort of like a 12 step meeting and that there's, there's often someone will start the meeting off and then they'll share a topic. They'll call on people when we're in person, we sit in chairs in a circle. Um, but we also focus on tangible how to stay sober while working in a restaurant or working in food and beverage. So we talk about how do you approach a tasting? How do you communicate to your, to your coworkers that you're not drinking? Um, we talk about the non-alcoholic beverage industry, like all these, all these sort of, Topics that might be considered taboo in other 12 step groups, but that are really helpful for people just trying to continue their jobs and their lives. Also,
0: yeah. Yeah. You and I were talking about this a little bit before we hit record, too. And, you know, for me, being from Los Angeles, it just didn't seem weird to be a sober bar person because I had been exposed to that my whole 20s. You know, I think. I would say, honestly, I mean, it's always been very popular in Los Angeles, for sure. I would assume California as a whole. It's always been very popular to be sober. It's not nearly as taboo or strange in those places with larger population, right? You're naturally just going to have a bigger population of everything, including sober people. But I would say probably 90% of the bars and nightclubs I worked in through my 20s, and I was all over Hollywood and Beverly Hills. Ninety percent of the places I worked, I worked next to another bartender who was sober, or a cocktail server who was sober. Like, and I remember one time working this place in Beverly Hills, and we were making shipped shots which we did every hour on the hour. For everybody. <laughs> and of course. I was making shift shots and I was putting them down for the servers, right. For the cocktail servers. So when they came over to pick up drinks, they could do their shot. And I remember this girl who I liked, I was really good buddies with her at work. And I remember her coming over and she's like, Oh no, thanks Angela. I'm in the program. And she picked up her stuff and walked away. And I was like, wow. Oh, the okay. Honesty. Yeah. yeah." And I was only, Gosh, I think I was probably 24 or 25 when that happened. And from that point forward, it's like I just had this awareness that there were all of these people that just didn't drink. Right. And that we're in AA and whatever. I dated somebody when I was 26, who was 16 years sober at that time. And, and he owned a coffee shop that catered to the sober community, you know, (laughs) so we hung out there all the time. So I guess I just had all of this exposure to it, even though I didn't understand it, then I wasn't even drinking out of control. Then, you know, it wasn't even an issue in my life yet, but I just, it's like all those little seeds were planted. So yeah. fast forward I got sober at 33 fast forward to then it just didn't feel weird to me it didn't that's feel great. strange you yeah. know I was like yeah this is what you do and i think i said this to you before we hit record but i said for me i always thought like as a bartender you spend half your career drunk and then half your career sober and that's, that's amazing yeah how it goes <laughs> i have to say i wish i'd had that view a little more
1: i thought i thought well wow, my career's over that was my yeah. thought sober. I have to do it because I, there's, I'm not going to survive if I don't do it, but that I certainly have to do a pivot and get out of this industry. So I love that you were meeting so many sober bartenders. I don't know why I know, I know now I was surrounded by them, but I didn't, I guess I didn't choose to
0: see them. I know
1: the the world. Well,
0: it's gotten to be a lot more, you know, and you and I were talking about this too. I, you know, the last place I worked, I worked at a restaurant called Capitol grill and they have them all over the country, right? It's a beautiful rest. It's my favorite restaurant to eat in. It was not my favorite place to work, but, um, <laughs> but I love that place. Um, and I remember like, and this was probably 10 years ago when I quit bartending. And I remember at the end of my tenure at cap like there were a whole bunch of us that were sober people. There were right. probably six or seven of us that were all sober people. Now I would venture to say I was probably the most serious about it because it was my whole life, right? Yeah. Like from day one recovery was my whole life from the minute I got sober yeah. um, and my friends call me super sober. So <laughs> <laughs> I would say I was probably a little more serious about it than everybody else, but yeah, I did. I had this little crew of people and we were just all non-drinkers, you know, we were all sober people. <laughs> people. Yeah. And at the beginning of my sobriety that definitely was not the case. You know, sure. I was I was definitely the only one for a long time. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey, that's for sure. Yeah, that's great. How do you think that how do you think the industry creates different circumstances? And I ask this because there are a lot of industries that have a lot of drinking. <laughs> And yeah. I was kind of surprised by the ones you mentioned, because I would have thought lawyers and nurses would have been in there. I think they're up there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because those are,
1: addiction as a whole, so there's also, right. you know, we're talking all drugs of choice.
0: Yeah. I think first yeah. responders for sure are, yeah, cause there's so there. much trauma and PTSD and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But,
1: I mean, the common thread is, I think between all of those is stress and, and navigating stress. Yeah. So with that in mind, to to sort of answer your question, I don't, I don't have all the answers and I'm no longer a business owner. Um, but I hear from a lot of business owners at Ben's friends that shifting the culture, people are more willing than you would think. And it is a lot about navigating that the, the stress release and that there has to be some sort of a replacement for the substance use and the drinking. So you think about The after shift drink that is such a common practice at the restaurant. And it's such a it's been for years and years like a restaurant's way of saying, you know, thank you for working so hard. And we know it was crazy in here, but have this alcoholic drink. And there are bar owners now who are who are opting for things like um like yoga practice after a a wild shift or a run, which if you had said that to me, I would have said, Yeah, bartenders are not gonna go for that. But I have a good friend, Philip Spear is a chef in Austin, Texas. He's our Austin, Texas chair of Ben's Friends. And he started a run club where he takes his bartenders running pre or post-shift called Commodore Run Club. And this thing, they're all going.
0: They're- I love that. Yeah, And that's he doesn't so good. offer, he
1: doesn't do an after-shift drink. It's not, his restaurant's not a place for um, this always
0: but, irritates me with the airlines, too, right? Especially yeah. pre COVID, right? When I was still traveling all the time, like I always have a ton of miles and all that yeah. stuff. And they always want to reward me with drink coupons. And I'm like, yeah, really, we'll- dude? It's so like- interesting. Like, <laughs> the alcohol is the reward for, it's the reward for everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, give me a bag of chips or something. Can say, we get creative pop- here? Uh, yeah, I um, know that in the in the recovery community, a big concern, exactly what you said, if you hang out at the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. I understand that concept so well. And I get that. Obviously, it is going to be much easier to have a drink if you work in a place that you're surrounded by alcohol. Also, if you are having a moment of weakness, so to speak, and I don't mean weakness, like you're weak and you're going to drink. I mean, weakness, like you are extra tired, extra stressed you, maybe you're going through a breakup, right? Like those are moments of vulnerability, right? When we are much more susceptible to make all kinds of bad decisions. Yeah. And if you're in that state of mind and you have alcohol right in front of you, obviously it's easier to relapse. Like I get the train of thought, but (laughs) for me, it was, it was, almost this beautiful motivation because I would be at work every night and I would see all these people at their worst behavior
1: and acting
0: terrible, (laughs) right. And vomiting on their friends or spending too much money where their debit cards are getting declined. And all of a sudden holding hands with somebody that is not their significant other, yeah. right? Like I would just see all these things and I would be standing behind the bar going, Oh my God, that'll
1: keep you sober. That I am so <laughs>
0: glad that I don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad those are not my struggles. I'm so happy to I'm move away you. from that life. And then also thinking about how they're gonna feel the next day. Like, oh yes. Lord, yeah. I'm so glad I'm not waking up like that, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We also talk about this term in Ben's friends that I think is good for anyone who's working in the vicinity of of substances or alcohol. And that is spiritual distancing. Meaning um, when I am working a program or I'm feeling spiritually connected or fulfilled, I can be holding a glass of alcohol and it's, and it doesn't have an impact on me. Whereas, I mean, we all, those of us who struggle with addiction, I have traveled to some far away and scary places to pick up drugs or alcohol. Oh yeah. I have, it's, it doesn't matter how far away it is or how hard it is to get. I have ventured when I want it. And, uh, but when I have a spiritual distance, you can have drugs in your pocket right next to me and I'm, I don't want them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No question. That's one of the most beautiful things I think about. Recovery to me. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Having that, what we say in 12 steps, the obsession lifted. Yes. But it's like you don't get that just because you want it. Like it takes work. Like I have to take steps and take action in my life to create that circumstance. Exactly. And it's not just, you know, okay, if I hit the six month mark,
1: I'll stop thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And making connection.
0: Yeah. Oftentimes people think that recovery is this linear process, right? Like the longer I have, I'm going to feel like this, or, you know, this obsession's going to leave me, or I'm no longer going to want to do this, or this is going to be, you know, it's like, it doesn't work that way. Sorry. Yeah. I wish it did. I wish it did, but recovery has its own timeline and your brain has its own timeline yes. and it's all going to happen whenever that stuff wants to. <laughs> you just got to keep showing up to support it when it wants to change. Yeah. <laughs> so with Ben's friends, like how long has Ben's friends been around? Great question. I think about five years now. I'm really curious about the growth of it, like how much it has grown and evolved in the time that it's been around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so the chapters, there was really a focus on opening the the local city chapters, which are magnificent, but I, but the national zoom meeting has really changed the game. And that was, that was born the week of lockdown, March, 2020. And, um, that I think we've seen this in AA too, right? Like the approachability obviously nothing compares to the in person connection yeah. but the approachability i think about what it would have been like if i could have gone to my first meeting
0: online and online yeah. yeah
1: i think i maybe i would have gone sooner i was terrified to go to my first ever meeting
0: we're all terrified oh, to go to
1: our first terrified. ever meeting yeah so i like the idea of it being a little more approachable and we've i've seen a ton of newcomers in the, yeah. in the covid
0: I've seen this also in, uh, I own men's sober living houses in Kansas at one of my other companies. And, um, I've seen this so much in the last few years there too. like getting so many people that are service industry, like having so many guys that are servers and bartenders and cooks, you know, line cooks and whatever, just, it's so much more common now than it ever used to be. Yeah.
1: Well, I would love to share the resource of Ben's friends with them. We like to remind people that it's not a replacement for a program. It's, or what we say is it's a community, not a program. So that's, that's oh, what, I love
0: that. Yeah. 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 That's it's really not, there's, good.
1: There aren't a set of steps or literature involved in Ben's friends. It's just a place to feel safe. And, and like, we're talking to like-minded people who are also in the industry.
0: Yeah, for sure. I will definitely share it as a resource. And I, I do want you to connect me to, cause I know you guys have somebody in Kansas city. I saw I mean, him on the website, yeah. so I definitely yeah. want to connect with him too.
1: Okay. Wonderful.
0: What do you think has been the most beneficial thing for your personal recovery, having these service industry people to connect with?
1: That's a really good question. There was a lot of confusion about if it was appropriate to stay in this industry, but I knew that I really loved it. And Ben's Friends has given me permission to do that in a really beautiful way.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, I wanted I to share that. a story also. So there was, there's someone who owns a cocktail bar in San Francisco actually voted world's best bar. When I had my cocktail company in San Francisco, I just idolized this person. I was so impressed by their work and their craft. And it was something that I was working towards. And I wanted to be in their world so bad. I was like, I wanted to impress them. And I used to go to their bar and drink mezcal and try to <laughs> show off to them. And and I they just, I, I knew they were sort of too busy for me. And I just never really made the connection. But I was like, gosh, this guy is cool. Flash forward. I'm three months sober and I, this person is in a ben friends meeting nice. and they say that they are 16 years sober. And so I've never known them not in sobriety and they've actually never owned a bar, not in sobriety. And they're hands down one of the most successful cocktail bar owners I've ever met. And it was just this amazing, like, wow, we can, we can do it. And yeah. he's probably that great because of his sobriety and recovery.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have, I'm, I have a restaurant on my five-year plan. I'll have another restaurant for sure. I mean, it's just amazing. No, I'm going to, I don't have it now, but it's in the planning process. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's on my plan. And yeah, because I love the industry. It's so vibrant and kind of magical and fun. And, and it's definitely, it's in my roots, you know, it is, it is what I love, but I really appreciate that you phrased it like that. Like Ben's friends gave you permission to do that because I get what you're saying. Like, this is something I think that turns a lot of people off from 12 steps is they feel like there are all of these rules, you know? And I always try to share the message that they aren't rules, they're suggestions, right? And you're definitely going to have people that are going to warn you and tell you to do it a certain way because that's what worked for them. Yes. And you really have to have your own inner courage to do it your way and to be okay, if that's against the grain, right? It's not AA's fault. If you don't want to do it AA's way, it's okay, <laughs> but, but don't be mad at the people in the AA because right. you don't want to do everything their way, right? Just have the courage to stand in your own and say, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, And I had to have that same conversation with myself because when I got sober, I didn't know if I would be able to continue bartending. I mean, I felt like it wouldn't bother me because I was so okay with quitting drinking. I was so okay with leaving that life behind and moving forward, but I didn't know what it was going to be like once I was there. I didn't know how I would feel. So imagine if you had this whole community
1: of people that was like, we've done it for
0: years, how we did it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. And I was, you talked about a few minutes ago, you talked about the willingness, right? And that you were willing to do whatever. And that's exactly where I was. Mm -hmm. I I was willing if I had to stop bartending and get a different job. I mean, I had it all in my head because I think a lot of people don't know too. You can make an exorbitant amount of money working in the service. industry. certainly as a bartender, yes. Having the right jobs, you can make a great living yes. and you have no responsibility, right? You work when you want to, you don't work when you don't want to, you take off whenever. Um, it's really beautiful for those of us that don't want to grow up. But <laughs> <laughs> but that was another piece of it is I had the lifestyle that went with that income. And it was the only job I'd ever had. Yeah. So when I'm sitting there at 33 and a half going, I have to get sober, like what am I going to do? And, you know, I live in a beautiful home. I've got a $70,000 Lexus in the garage and I'm like, how am I going to pay for my life if I don't have my livelihood? Like, how is that going to work? Right. And I was so willing that I was like, you know what? I'll try it out. If it doesn't bother me, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, like, I'm not going to make an issue out of a non-issue if it doesn't bother me. Great. But if it does bother me, I was like, I'll give it all up. Yeah, if I've got to move right. back in with my parents right. and get a job at $12 yeah. an hour or something. I don't even know what people make because I've never had a job, but if I have to do that, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I would do that. Right. Because I was that willing ultimate willingness. Yes. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but I think that makes a lot of difference too, yeah. is, you know, not getting so hung up on all the little things and just being like, okay, you know what? Let me just dip my toe in and see what happens. Yes. Yeah. It's hard. I don't know. I'm glad I didn't have to move back in with my mom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love her, but I
0: don't want to live there.
1: (laughs) So one thing that I don't usually talk about, but that I was just thinking when you were sharing that and maybe you can relate is how fun sober bartending is. Oh yeah. Right. Like if you, if you're someone who actually enjoys, if you you take the drugs and alcohol out of the equation and what's left of the job, the personal connections, the, the very fast paced environment, the lively atmosphere, if you're someone who enjoys those things, being sober in that environment is an absolute blast,
0: a blast. Right. And, you know, I always say to, I mean, listen, I don't love being around drunk people for sure. Right. I've been sober yeah. a long time. Drunk does not fascinate me anymore. Yeah. And when I was working at uh Capitol grill, one of my favorite things about working there is that we got so many traveling professional people. Oh yeah. And I would get to sit and have these conversations with people about jobs that I never knew existed. And it was just this really cool, fascinating thing. Every day I got to talk to people and learn new stuff. However, I loved those conversations until that person hit about the third drink. Oh, amen. And then they start to get sloppy and the men want to flirt with you and start getting a little inappropriate. (laughs) And it's like, okay, dude, I'm out of here. I got to go find somebody else that's on drink one. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely.
1: Yeah. I'm with you.
0: It loses its charm about the third drink.
1: (laughs) And like you said, inspiring to, uh, to stay sober yourself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's so much better. It's just so much better to have more control over myself and my decision making. And yeah, and we had a rule in the bar too that at closing time, you know, because bartenders, especially in nightclubs, a lot of times will stay after and drink. And like if your friends are there when you close, like you have a few of your friends stay and you drink while all the bartenders are cleaning and doing all the stuff. And we had a rule. That like once the doors were locked, I no longer had to be nice, you know. So whoever, all my other bartenders, whoever friends they had, their drinking or whatever, I was like, I don't have to be nice now, you guys. Like, <laughs> I want to clean this mess up, count the money, yeah. and I want to go home. I know you guys want to stay here and drink all night. I want to get the f out of here. Perfect. So get your stupid drunk friends out of <laughs> behind the bar. Like, let me focus yeah. and get out of here. <laughs> it's so fun. I'm so grateful to learn about this resource too. And I know so many of my listeners are going to love, love, love having this resource. So I will share everything in the show notes for sure. Um, Final question, favorite question. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? Oh, wow. That is a great question. I have so many.
1: I know, right? One of them is definitely, so I used to have this deep, dread when the sun would come up because I I had stayed up and I regretted it. And it was like this, oh God, I did it again. I can't believe I'm here. My body was so mad at me. I was just terrified and devastated at the sunrise. And I am a naturally early riser and in sobriety, I wake up and watch the sunrise every day. And it's this moment for me, every single day that I get to have with just me and my spirituality where I watch the sunrise and I'm filled with gratitude. And it's pretty much every single day that I feel that way. This euphoric, grateful, yes, there's the sunrise. (laughs) So what a shift. Um, Oh, that's so good.
0: That's what sobriety's given me. Yeah, that's so good. What a beautiful thing to yeah. even recognize gratitude, right? When I was drunk, I couldn't recognize gratitude for anything. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Yeah, I was, just, I was in this permanent state of mad because I felt so horrible all the time. You know, yeah. physically and emotionally Same. horrible, and so stuck. Yeah, so stuck. yeah, I'm trapped. It felt trapped. I always felt like a prisoner in my own life. Oh, yeah. like I couldn't get out. <laughs> Well, Haley, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me and sharing Ben's friends with us. This is incredible. I'm so grateful to come across this organization too. I think it'll be fun to be a part of and I travel a lot. I'm going to be back to traveling a lot now that coronavirus hopefully starting to chill out. So I would love to be able to go to some of these meetings, you know, in all the different places I go.
1: Yes, absolutely. I forgot to mention also, there's a small group of us representing Ben's friends at the National Bar and Restaurant Expo in Las Vegas, March 21st. So nice. what we speaking to bar and restaurant owners about how to, how to take care of their staff. That's so them. cool.
0: That's so yeah. cool. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this too. Vegas is a fantastic place to be sober. Again, like it I, has I, such a reputation for yes. being obviously sin city in a party city. And it's pretty crazy there, but my gosh, what a phenomenal place to be sober. That's AA, what I, keep hearing. Yes. I love the whole, AA and A I vegas website It's so much fun. Yeah. It's like LA, LA is the same way, you know, like yeah. I can go to my home group in LA on Saturday nights. And like, I tell this story all the time, like a few years ago, I'm at the meeting on Saturday night and I'm talking to a bunch of people and we're scuba divers. And it's, and somebody said, Hey, let's go on a dive tomorrow. And I was like, Oh heck yeah. I'd love to go dive tomorrow. It literally like 20 people show up 12 hours later to go dive wow. and like, in Kansas city. I can't even get two people to go to a movie. <laughs> yeah, those cities—cities cities who have a reputation for partying—also have some of the best recovery I've found. Best recovery, yeah, no question. All right, Haley, thank you so much for coming on. So I appreciate your time. We'll thank see you Thank you for having me on. It was wonderful to meet you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast: candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.